Good morning. Welcome to First Baptist Church. We are so glad that you are here today to praise the Lord and to learn from His Word. We turn to you. We turn to
is our rescuer. Let me, let me find out. I'm going to take a survey this morning. How many had a really great week? Let me see. Just a really yeah. wonderful week. How many had a pretty stressful, trying week? Okay. How many feel like they got something accomplished last week? How many feel like they didn't get a thing, not a blooming thing accomplished? All right. A couple of you. Good, good. Someone asked me this week, what do you do for fun? I said, nothing. <laughs> Having fun wears me out. So... I'll tell you what, it's good to be in the Lord's house today. Thank you for coming, being with us at First Baptist Church. Let's go to him in a word of prayer. Thank him for the blessings of the week and ask him for help for the challenges of the week as well. Father, we come to you this morning as a people dedicated to you, Lord, in love with you, grateful to you for loving us. I can't even, I can't even say how overwhelmed I am that you would choose us to be part of your family. You would forgive us of our awful sin and wash us clean in the blood of the Lamb and make us fit for the kingdom of heaven. Lord, we couldn't do it without you at all, couldn't even come close. We thank you, though, for loving us. Thank you for letting us serve you today. God, thank you for every person who's come today, every member, every attender, every visitor. May you just brighten their day. Lord, may your face shine upon us and give us peace in a world that's upset with war and strife and problems and confusion and everything else. God bless us, we pray, and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. And uh, let me start out by saying if you're a first-time guest, visitor here at First Baptist Church, we are honored with your presence. And I would ask you to do me a favor in the seat back in front of you is one of these connection cards, and that's what it's for is to get connected. So please take that card, please fill it out, and please turn it in. If you do so, we will give you, we will send you a gift certificate We, in appreciation for taking the time to do that. Also, I want to say to those watching by way of Facebook, YouTube, thank you so much for following us online. I find out every, it seems like every couple of weeks I hear about someone who maybe from, I knew from 30 years ago or 35 or 40 years ago who's watching the services, and it just does my heart good. So thank you so much for watching. I hope you can come be with us in person. Today, preaching on the widow's son, there will be a military meal after the services. The teens are meeting on the patio today. We have a a stand-in teacher who's going to do an awesome job. So uh, they weren't going to meet, but they are now on the patio. So if you're a teenager, junior high or high school, you're invited to go to the patio right now. Grab a donut on the way. Uh, Bible studies Tuesday. Navigators meet here. Have a little meal together also. Wednesday, Bible study. Study fellowship in the morning and men of resolution in the evening. Times are all in your bulletin. Thursday, Nancy Trotter has her ladies' study at her home, and uh, David Waitley has his study up here uh, in, on Thursday night. Next Sunday, a tribute to the greatest man born of woman. The greatest man born of woman. Uh, that'll be this coming Sunday, and we'll also have Holy Communion together. March the 1st through the 3rd, ladies' retreat, it's here. It's time. Annabelle, any special words of encouragement? Bring shoes you don't mind getting really muddy and dirty. Okay, well, well said. I can't add to that. All right, no spikes? No, no spikes. Okay, all right, good. 
All right, ladies retreat. And you have all the information. Annabelle, wave your hand. If you need more information, she's right there. Those who are registered, see her. Um, March the 9th at 5 p.m. It's going to be here before you know it. Chula Vista Amphitheater, which I think is called North Island Amphitheater in Chula Vista on Main Street. Uh, Franklin Graham. It's going to be great. I got a, 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 I don't know what you'll call it, a, a kind of a notification of how it's going because they've already started on the border. They have several meetings on the border, uh, the Frontera campaign. So it's going to be bilingual. It'll be a great time of worship and fellowship. And Franklin Graham will do an outstanding job of preaching. Be sure to get someone there who needs to hear the gospel so they can find Christ as their personal Savior. Now, any seniors, I, I heard that there were a couple of people who would like to go, but they were concerned about uh, not having a ride. So any seniors, uh, or for whatever reason, if you, if you need a ride, you would like a ride, if you would take one of the connection cards and give your name and your phone number and just put on their ride, or March the 9th, or Franklin Graham, or something so we know, uh, we will try to hook you up with a ride to be able to get you to and from that meeting on March the 9th. All right, a couple of other things before Debbie comes to give uh, a, an announcement. You'll find on your seats close to you, not on every seat, but every other seat, you'll find one of these one more. And on the back it says, I'm committed to praying for and inviting one more to experience Jesus at First Baptist Church. So I want you to get someone on your heart, someone on your mind who you know needs the Lord, and you will dedicate uh, time every day praying for them. So, so take one of these cards. Don't just leave them on the seat. Take it with you. Fill out a name. Put it in your Bible. Put it in your devotional book, in your daily bread or whatever. And every day, pray for that person. There's power in prayer. There really is. So let's utilize the power he's given to us. If you didn't get one of these and want one, see me afterwards. I'll get some more. We've got plenty more. Also on the back table, the Easter invitations. We want to hand those out. So grab those and take them around to your neighbors and uh, invite them to church. And then also, uh, I already mentioned the Franklin Game deal, but we have these um, gives little boots that give all the information about it, times, place, address, all that, and they're on the back table as well. So pick up those. Uh, two more things. I'm sorry? You are right. John, you're right. We need to write this down on the calendar. John was right. I forgot all I've only got about 17 announcements, so I forgot about that one, but thank you for reminding. Men's breakfast, 8 a.m., 7 a.m. to help us cook, set up, and get things going, and, uh, and we'll have a great time. Then also, blanket drive. Uh, for These are for recovering addicts. We are uh, in the process of collecting those. You can bring them here. We will get them to the ministry that is passing them out. Uh, some of these people are homeless. Some of these people are sleeping in their cars. Uh, but So we're having the blanket drive. So if you could, uh, it, it says here, donate a new or gently used blanket, uh, accepting donations through the month of March, and you can drop them off. Well, actually, it's got a drop-off place in Imperial Beach, or you can take it here, and we'll take it over there either way. All right, one more, one more, more thing. Kimberly Schmidt was baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, February the 18th, 2024. Come on up here, Kimberly. God bless you. Just remain standing here for just a moment. And she was able to get her husband and three of her four kids here, and we appreciate that. And uh, God bless you. We're so thrilled for that decision. Brandon, are you here today? Brandon, come on up here, Brandon. 
Brennan Parker will also baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. God bless you, my friend. Proud of you guys. I want you to pray for both of them because about the time you take a stand for Jesus Christ, what happens is the devil hangs a target on your back. I, I've told you all, I used, to, I used to jog. Believe it or not, I used to jog back in uh, 1800s. I used to jog. And, some, and I talked about having a target on our back as Christians. And one of the ladies in my church made a T-shirt with a target, actual target on my back. And that's when they were, you know, the freeways, they'd shoot at people. And so I used to jog in this shirt with a target on my back. And my wife said, are you crazy? What? <laughs> so I don't know what happened. I think she burned my target T-shirt. But not a literal target, but a spiritual target. So you know what? Uh, God will protect you. God will watch over you. So thank you so much for following the Lord and Believer's Baptism. Let's give him a hand. Thank you very much. Debbie, you have an announcement to make. I do. Good morning, First Baptist. Good morning. Good morning. Um, so for Easter, we are going to do a special song. And so we are inviting any of you um, who can sing or maybe play an instrument to come join the First Baptist Praise Choir um, we're going to learn a brand new song together. We're going to rehearse on Monday evenings here. I'll let you know what time. There's going to be a sign-up table um, outside. I just need to know what part you sing, what instrument you play, and you will get an invitation to join us. Um, we would love as many of you as possible. You do not have to be an American Idol singer. Um, uh, I definitely am not. <laughs> Or the voice. You don't have to be a voice singer either. Um, but we would love to have you. If you're high school age or older, um, we welcome you. And just meet me out on the patio out front. And we're super excited about this new song. If this goes well um, and you're still interested, what we'll probably do is have the praise choir and try to do um, a special song every, every couple of months. Um, so excited to have you. Thank you. They can sign up at the table outside after church. Yes, sir. All right. Table Thank you. right outside. Thanks. All right, everybody stand. Let's continue to worship the Lord together.
Till he 
there were no heaven, if there were no God, I would rather believe that than to believe the alternative. I think I would go crazy, crazier, <laughs> if I thought there was nothing other than this life, even though this life is wonderful and great. I appreciate it. I love it. But there's eternity with God forever and ever and ever. He made it possible. Thank God for that. Amen. Mm -hmm. Amen. You may be seated. How many of you have the sword of the Spirit with you today? Let me see. Roll them up high. Electronic, hardback, cough, softback, leatherback, whatever. All right, good. Paperback. Thank you so much for having that. Turn to Luke chapter 7. Boys and girls, boys and girls from First Baptist Church, come on down here a minute. Let me share something with you before you go to classes, okay? All the boys and girls of First Baptist Church, I am so glad that you are here today. How many of you had a donut? Okay, good number of you. All right. What's your favorite donut? Chocolate covered? Right on, buddy. All right. What's yours? Any kind of donut? Except chocolate. Okay. Do you... Do you like the round ones or the, or the rectangular ones? I like the rectangular ones. Okay, all right. What's your favorite donut? Red velvet. They have those back there? Hold on just a minute. I'll be right back. What's your favorite donut? You don't like donuts? Pray for this kid right here. Pray, pray for him. All right. Let me ask you something. How many know what a miracle is? Something that, what? You're, you're right, you're right. Keep going. That something that happens, that God causes to happen, that's right on. That's what a miracle, a miracle is when things happen that supernaturally are guided by God, things that don't normally happen. Like, for example, how many know that Peter, the apostle Peter, walked on the water? How many know that? See, that's in the Bible, okay? How many know that Jonah was swallowed by a whale or a great fish, one or the other? Now, some people are going to tell you when you get in school or you get in high school or you get in college or something, like they're going to tell you that whales can't swallow people. But in fact, God can make whatever he wants to make happen because he is God and there's no one else beside him. And he was swallowed by a great fish. Maybe it was a specially prepared great fish that would swallow people only. Maybe it's the only one it was, but, or maybe it wasn't, maybe, but it was a miracle. How many know that when Israel was in the wilderness that manna or bread fell from heaven and they were able to eat that manna, all right? Those are examples of miracles. What, what's another miracle in the Bible? Anybody else think of another miracle? But yeah, when Jesus turned water into grape juice, exactly. You don't like donuts, though, huh? Okay. All right, good. What's another miracle? When we rose Lazarus from the dead, that's a big one. That's exactly right. What's another miracle? Anybody else know any miracles? Anybody else got one? Those are all really, you know, I used to think the biggest miracles in the whole world was when someone was raised from the dead, like Lazarus, or like what I'm going to preach on today, the widow's son. I used to think that, what could be a greater miracle than that? But I think I figured out one, boys and girls. You ready to hear what the greatest miracle I think in the whole wide world is? That is that Jesus can forgive me of my awful sins, all my sinfulness, and make me a child of heaven. Has he forgiven you your sinfulness? 
Have you asked him to be your God and your Savior? I hope so, and if you haven't, I hope you will someday because you need to trust him for eternal life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for every one of these young ladies and every one of these young men up here today. I pray your richest blessings upon them. Thank you for the teachers that volunteer to give time not only to study the lesson, but then to teach it to these boys and girls, these young ears. And I pray that, God, your word, like it did with me, really, as they are young people, your word would be hidden in their heart, that they might not sin against you, that they might uh, remember what you've said, and that it might make a difference in their life's choices. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. And all the kids said, amen, amen. Thank you so much. Go ahead and go to class. God bless you. Donuts or no, grape juice or no, all right. Luke chapter 7, verse 11, with last week's message on, uh, on the healing of the Roman centurion's servant, we're back to the Life of Christ study we began a year ago, and today's study goes beyond just healing, uh, in my opinion. Uh, it's, it's, it's a, it, raising someone from the dead is something that healers even today don't uh, don't do. Now, I'm going to say some things today. Please understand, if you're a first-time guest, uh, you got to come back again because I won't be as mean as I'm going to be today uh, <laughs> on a couple of points, and I don't really intend to be mean. I, just, I, I have a responsibility to preach what I believe is the Word of God, and so if that contradicts some of the practices even of other Christians, uh, I am so sorry, and I'm, I'm not at war with any Christians. I'm, I thank God for all the Christians we have. I prayed this morning for several different pastors all over the South Bay area in particular, uh, and I thank God for every one of them that preaches the gospel. But, uh, but I, I have to say that so-called divine healers oftentimes say something like this, someone is here and you have a tumor, or someone is here and you have... Uh, an appendicitis that's uh, about to uh, to be infected, and 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 you're going to you're going to feel a tingling that'll start up your top of your spine to go all the way down, or or there'll be a warm feeling. It's going to be the Holy Spirit of God uh, invading you and healing your body. And I, I'm just going to tell you, I don't go for a lot of that. I don't believe that's uh, what God teaches us to do. I don't believe that. I, I believe that healing was one of the sign gifts. And we're going to get more into that. Um, and I believe that God is the only one who heals us. So when you have surgery, your cells knit back together and, and repair themselves because God is active in that healing. But I don't believe so much in divine healers. And, and the fact of the matter is, for whatever reason, God doesn't heal everybody that asks for healing. Uh, some great godly people uh, don't, don't have healing. Um, my oldest daughter, uh, I just love her to death. We love her to death. And she's had, she had a stroke in 2015, I think it was, and uh, 45 years of age. And she's had complications ever since then. Uh, and, I mean, this girl, from the time she was four or five years old, was packing out, passing out tracks, talking to people about the Lord. She married a preacher uh, and they pastored church, and, uh, and, and we have prayed for her healing. But what, whatever reason, and God has his reasons. God is still God even if he doesn't ever heal her. But, uh, but God doesn't heal everybody. Uh, you can't see the tumor that someone supposedly has. You can't see the appendix that has some kind of a problem, perhaps or evidently. But when Jesus healed the centurion's servant, everyone saw a difference, and they glorified God. 
So Jesus takes miracles, uh, makes, takes the miracles of his credentials even higher in today's text. And these miracles, these sign gifts become credentials of he is valid. He is really who he says he is. He really is the son of God and God the son. So in Luke chapter 7, verse 11, and it came to pass the day after the, the, the day after, what day after? The day after the healing of the centurion's servant. Uh, Luke doesn't always provide a day-by-day account as none of the gospels do, but this, in this particular instance, he said, yesterday, Jesus healed the centurion's servant. Uh, today, this next account occurred. Uh, he, Jesus went into a city called Nain. Now, if we have the map up there, uh, Nain is, going, is not on this uh, map right here, but here is Capernaum, which is the center of Jesus' ministry. Most of his ministry took place in Capernaum or in the Galilean area, and Nain would be south of, uh, of Capernaum, about 25 miles. It would be south of Canaan. It would be south of Nazareth. It is not here, but it is in this vicinity somewhere. That's where Nain would be. And so he's down there, uh, and, and he's visiting that area, uh, and many of the disciples went with him. So they followed him because of what they'd seen uh, happen with the centurion's uh, or servant, rather. And, and many other people followed him as well. Now, when he came near to the gate of the city, indicating there was at least some walls of protection, which was a very biblical thing to do. You put up walls to protect your villages and your towns. Uh, and so they were near the gate of the city. And behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother. And this word for only son is monogenes, uh, which you can probably figure out what that means, one son, uh, one heir. Uh, so this, this monogenes, this dead man was carried out, was the only son. Uh, uh, it's the same word used for Jesus' sonship in John 3.16. For God so loved his, the world that he gave his only begotten son, monogenes. So here it is, the only uh, son of this widow, of his mother, and she was a widow. And many of the people were with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. I want you to take stock in the fact that God knows what you're going through. God knows the trauma that we experience. God knows the heartache and the heartbreak. And God knows when we hurt for our kids. God knows when we hurt for our spouse. God knows when we're greatly disturbed or bothered about something, when we've been uh, treated poorly. And he has compassion. He had compassion on this widow lady. And he said to her, weep not. Now, the wording used there implies not only the presence of shedding of tears, which is common with weeping, but it's more than that. It's, it's the idea of an external expression of a whole lot of grief. And it was not an uncommon thing. Uh, for the Jews of Jesus' day to weep, to wail, to cry out, to beat themselves on the breast. In some Middle Eastern countries, they still do the same things. It was not uncommon to even hire professional mourners who would go with your uh, coffin and, and, and in the funeral procession uh, and, and would wail and weep and cry out, expressing grief. So Jesus says, stop in a very soft way, stop your crying. Stop your weeping, stop your wailing, stop your grieving. And he came up and he touched. He came in physical contact. He handled uh, the bier or the, the coffin. And they that bore him stood still. They stopped right in their tracks. And he said, young man. And the, 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 the terminology in Greek here for young man possibly meant that this young man was over the age of 25, possibly over the age of 25. So for a widow lady to have 
a son uh, who could work and hold a job was, was critical. We'll talk about that more in a moment. He, he said to this young man, probably a little over the age of 25, I say to you, arise, as if uh, arising from a sleep. Wake up. And he that was dead, literally a corpse, he that was absolutely dead, sat up and began to speak, to talk randomly. And he, Jesus, delivered him to his mother. And as a result, verse 16, there came a fear on all. This fear, um, not so much in the English sense of the word of quivering and shaking uh, and, and bothered by, but rather a reverential trust. This, this Jesus is somebody special. This Jesus, look what he did for this widow. Look what he did for this dead young man. This, this is somebody. This is not a light thing. So this reverential trust and respect and honor came upon the people who were watching him. And what did they do as a result? Not only they, 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 were they overcome with fear, but they glorified God. They honored God. They praised God. They esteemed God. They lifted up the name of God, saying that a great prophet is risen among us, and that God has visited his people. And this rumor of him, now let me stop there, because sometimes rumors are not true, right? Sometimes in, in the English meaning today, the current uh, word, rumor, is, it would imply something that either shouldn't be said probably, or it's not even true necessarily, or not all true. But in this passage, it's the word logos, which is the same word used as for Jesus as the living word, capital L-O-G-O-S. So Jesus is the living word, and, and this word, this small L-O-G-O-S, this testimony, not a made-up story, but a living testimony of him went forth through all Judea and throughout all the region round about, and the disciples of John showed him, showed whom? Showed John all these things. So these disciples of John were among the crowd of people who were witnessing what had happened. Maybe they saw what happened the day before. Today, for sure, they saw the dead son, absolutely dead son of a widow lady raised completely from the dead. And they immediately went to the prison where John the Baptist was being held, and they told him all these things. Now, the first point here that I want you to see is Jesus and the credentials in verse 12. Jesus' miracles serve, no doubt, several purposes. I, I, I don't... I think we read casually something and we don't necessarily read the depth into that. And, and, and there's no doubt, Jesus didn't arbitrarily just kind of randomly flip a coin and say, I think I'll raise him from the dead today. I, Jesus had purpose in what he does. Jesus has purpose in everything he does. God the Father has purpose in everything he does. The Holy Spirit of God has purpose in everything he does. God is a purposeful God. He doesn't waste time. He doesn't waste his miracles. He doesn't waste anything. He's there, and he had several reasons, no doubt, uh, but one of them had to be to prove the credentials of Jesus Christ. This is my son. He has great power. Raising a son from the dead, immediately identified in the mind of these Israelites, Jesus with Elijah and Elisha. You remember Elijah you remember uh, his confrontation with Ahab, huh? And you remember how Ahab, the wicked king, there had never been a king more wicked than King Ahab up to that point. And so uh, Elijah said, well, there's going to be a drought. It's going to last for three and a half years. And then Elijah said, now, Lord, where do you want me to go? And he said, go to Zarephath. There's a widow lady there who will feed you. 
So here's this great prophet of God calling down, first of all, uh, calling down a drought for three and a half years, and now he's going to, he's a dependent of a widow lady, and a widow lady didn't have very much to begin with, but he's a dependent of the widow lady. So he goes and joins himself to the widow lady after he was at Brooks Sherath, which dried up. That's another whole sermon. So the water, dried, you know, he's kind of thinking, I'm running from Ahab, the water dried up, the creek's dry, now I've got to go be dependent on a widow lady. God knows what he is doing all the time. And so the widow was about to be out. She said, I, I've got enough meal for one more cake. I was going to bake it for my son and I, and, and for my son and me, and uh, my son and all of us. I was going to make one more cake. And she said, and, and the, the prophet of God, probably a Baptist, said, <laughs> make a cake for me first. That's why I think he was a Baptist. So... Make a cake for me. You know, here's my son. This is the last cake I've got. It, well, I, I, can I have first dibs? Uh, I'm the man of God. Give me first piece of cake. And so she made it. Guess what happened? The meal didn't waste and the oil stayed, remained. And she was able to feed him for a long period of time. And not only to feed him, but to feed her son and to feed herself as God performed a miracle to make that happen. So he, uh, immediately when Jesus uh, healed the son of this dead, this dead son of this uh, widow lady. He identified in the minds of the Israelis with Elijah. But guess what? Elisha, who clamored for a double portion of God's spirit, also had a situation where uh, there was a woman. Where he, when Elisha, would, as an itinerant prophet, would travel through the area, this lady said, you know what? We need to make a room for this prophet of God. We need to have a place where he can stay when he comes through. So uh, let's, let's have that dedicated room for, the, for Eli, Elisha, the prophet, and let's put in that room a bed, a table, a stool, a candlestick, and we'll provide that for him. So whenever he comes by, uh, he's got a place to stay. He's got what he needs. And so later on, Elisha says to his servant, uh, what have we done for this lady because of her kindness? Now, she wasn't a widow, uh, but she, she had a son, uh, and it was a son of promise, a miracle son, though, that she had. And then he died. And then Elisha was able, through the power of Almighty God, to raise that son from the dead again. So, so now Jesus is linked with Elijah and Elisha, two of the greatest prophets in Israel's history. Jesus' performance of miracles, as well as the apostles' use of miracles, were sign gifts. Sign gifts that served as credentials for their gospel message. If I, I try to trying to figure out a way to present this that would, would get our attention. But if someone came up, let's just, let's just uh, use the Christian model here. If someone came up to you, came into our building today, and they came up to the front and they said, Jesus is here. Jesus is among us today. I, I know he's among us. I, I, I want to take you all to show you where Jesus is. I don't know about you. I wouldn't follow that guy. I wouldn't do it. And so here we have Jesus, who at 30 years of age appears on the scene, starts performing miracles. People hear about it. The stories spread far and wide. Um, and people start saying, you know what? There's something to this guy. There's something to what he's doing. And so it became credentials. Now, um, 
I don't know. I can't think of anything that this guy would come into our church and say, Jesus is here. I can take you to him. I don't know what he could do that would prove to me that he's really valid, really real. So the illustration kind of falls flat. But, but Jesus in his healing of sick and raising of the dead and supplying uh, the, the food for the thousands of people, all those miraculous events became symbols to Israel. I am who the prophets said I would be. I, am, I have these sign gifts, these simeon, uh, which means a sign, a mark, a token, a miracle with a spiritual end and a spiritual purpose. The sign gifts, uh, they're, they're listed a couple of different times, in, three, at least three different places, maybe four in the New Testament. Healings, uh, speaking in tongues, prophetic utterances, raising from the dead, those are some of them. And the operation of such gifts was limited in duration. And here's where, I, I don't mean to make anybody unhappy, but I, again, as far as I can tell, they ended with the completion of the Word of God. When the revelation of the Word of God was complete, certain sign gifts ended, they ceased. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 10 says, that which is perfect or complete has come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. Paul possessed several sign gifts. Paul was instrumental in some healings. Paul was instrumental in, um, in speaking in tongues. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, he says these words, now abide faith, hope, and charity, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Now, so so here's what, I, here's what I think we need to understand. If, if, God, if we're going to speak in tongues in a way that God's going to honor, it seems to me like we ought to follow the guidelines that God gives to us governing the speaking in tongues. Does that, does that make sense? You will find, don't look at it now because that'll make me mad if you do, but you will find in your bulletin uh, a kind of a breakdown of about what I'm going to go into here in just a moment. So wouldn't it be a great thing if missionaries today, uh, someone's called to be a missionary, and if they were able to go to whatever foreign country and have the gift of speaking that language without ever having studied it? Wouldn't that be a blessing? I would love it. I would love that. And that would be the, on the day of Pentecost, Parthenians, Medes, Persians, I mean, there's a whole list of about 18, 19, 20 different nationalities of people were on the day of Pentecost, and every man heard in his own tongue the, the, the preaching of the gospel. Everyone heard in their own language. Now, the King James Version has kind of muddied the waters a little bit, and I love the King James Version. I got it right here. I use it as my primary Bible, but uh, when the word unknown is there, you check it out, it's in italics. And you know what that means? It means we emphasize it. No, no. It means it was put in there by translators to try to clarify the meaning of the word that follows. So to put in unknown language seems to indicate some language that nobody knows about. Obviously, that's what it sounds like, unknown language. But it meant unknown to the one speaking that language prior to this miraculous simian or sign gift display. So what about this phenomenon of speaking in tongues? Even in Paul's ministry, the sign gift of tongues was regulated by several factors, and it had become a problem in 1 Corinthians. That's one of the... the 1 Corinthians is a, is a list of problems uh, factions, immorality, uh, heathen courts, marriage and divorce, uh, 
and, and I'm not, I, there, there's a whole list of things in the book of 1 Corinthians that Paul is having to chide the people at Corinth about. Check it out. You'll find out that's true. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he said, let love be your highest goal. He said, uh, desire the spiritual abilities or the spiritual gifts, but especially the ability to prophesy or to speak the gospel. For if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God, since people won't be able to understand you. If I were able to speak in Swahili right now, probably no one here would understand me. I, I, would, I would doubt that anyone. If I could, if I could speak in Urdu, uh, uh, nobody would understand what I'm saying unless Randall's watching by way of live streaming over in Pakistan. Uh, people, and, and that's what Paul says. If you speak in a language in tongues, then people won't be able to understand you. You're speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will be mysterious. But one who prophesies or preaches strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally, but one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. I wish that you could all speak in tongues, but even more, notice that, even more, I wish you could speak all prophecy. We wish you all could prophesy. And then he goes ahead and he said, if the bugler doesn't sound a clear call, how will the soldiers know that they're being called to battle? It's the same way for you. Anyone who speaks in tongues, verse 13, should pray also for the ability to interpret. And then in skipping verse 18, I thank God I speak in tongues more than y'all. Paul spoke in tongues, but at a church meeting, I would rather speak five understandable words than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. And then he says in verse 22, so you see that speaking in tongues is a sign. There's that word simeon, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for the benefit of believers, not unbelievers. So then he says, let's summarize in verse 26. If, if one speaks in tongues, another must interpret. I have been to tongues meetings. I have seen people supposedly speaking in tongues, and there was no interpretation given. I'm just saying no more than two or three should speak in tongues. I have been in tongues meetings where a whole group of people were speaking in tongues. They must speak one at a time. I have been in tongues meetings where a whole bunch of speak people were speaking in tongues at the very same time. Someone must interpret, Paul said. But if no one is present who can interpret, they must be silent in the church. And then it says in verse 29, let two or three prophesy and let others evaluate what is said. But if someone's prophesying, another person receives a revelation of the Lord, the one speaking must stop. Because God is not the author of confusion, but uh, rather of, of order. And, and everyone can take turns. Uh, and, and then it said, and, and women, don't hate me for this, okay? Please. I didn't write 1 Corinthians. I did not write it. I, I read it with fear and trembling because I love you ladies. Women should be silent during the church meetings concerning speaking in tongues, okay? I didn't write it. Yeah, well, Paul wrote it. He was a misogynist. I don't know if he gave people massages or not, but <laughs> I don't think he was a misogynist. I don't think he hated women. I really don't think so. I think he was just speaking through the inspiration and the power of the Holy Spirit of God and, and, and that that these are the, these are the, as I understand, if you've got an explanation for 1 Corinthians chapter 14, please let me know. But other sign gifts like healing, uh, divine healers, uh, other things like raising people from the dead. By the way, I don't know of any, any people who still practice, they say, the gifts of the Spirit. 
do raising people from the dead now. I don't, I don't know of anyone who's ever claimed to do that. So these credentials were for Jesus. These credentials were for the apostles. They didn't have the word of God. They had the Old Testament. They had had it for some 400 years in the Greek language. They didn't have it from Matthew all the way through to Revelation. But when they did, these signed gifts passed out of sight. And then now remains love, charity, the most of all. So, uh, so these credentials uh, change and have changed, in my opinion, and as I understand the word of God. So we see Jesus in compassion. Verse 13, a widow in Bible days was at the mercy of family or friends. If she had family, then they would take care of her. If she had friends and no family, then they would take care of her, perhaps. If they didn't, then she was in real trouble because society was very different in Bible days and even in the Jewish culture. And this woman had lost her husband, the main a support system, and now she had lost her only son. Uh, whatever provision he could provide, he, he could get for her, it was also gone. And so she was at the mercy of society and the mercy of God. I'd rather be at the mercy of God than the mercy of society any day long. Can you imagine her stress? As tough as it is to make ends meet in California, can you imagine if your spouse died and, you, and it was all on your shoulders? Whoever you are, man or woman, so many people, it seems like both husband and wife have to work today just to to live in this golden state. That's how it became the golden state. Take it all away from us. Uh, But but here, here the, the stress that she felt, the helplessness that she felt, her husband was gone, her son was gone. And then we see Jesus in the coffin. He touched the coffin. He stopped the funeral procession. And here's where I love to say, Here's what I love to say. No one ever died in Jesus' presence in the word of God that I know of. Check me out. Correct me. If I'm wrong, I will admit it next Sunday morning. I don't read anywhere where where someone died in Jesus' presence. But some people were called back to life in his presence. So see if, I'm, see if I'm telling the truth there. If I messed up, let me know. And then we see Jesus in the call. The Logos, the living word, now speaks to the dead ears of this young man, the only son of a widow who had depended on him and loved him. And my question is, would dead ears hear the voice of God and hear the call of God? And as that little kid said a little while ago, Lazarus did. Lazarus heard. Healers today that are unable to heal someone quite often shift the blame to the person who is victimized and say they don't have enough faith. Well, how much faith does a dead guy have? How much faith did this young man have? God's healing power can overcome unbelief. I'm I'm aware that some miracles became ineffectual because of unbelief. In Mark chapter 9, when they returned, the other disciples saw a large crowd surrounding them. Some teachers of religious law were arguing with the disciples. And they, they, Jesus came and said, what's this arguing all about? And the man said, I, I wanted your disciples to heal my, uh, my son, uh, but they couldn't do it. Uh, and, and Jesus said, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. And guess what? He healed the son. Because anything is possible if a person who believes. Uh, but the, the father said, I believe, but help my unbelief. How many times have I gone to God with that? I believe, Lord, but help my unbelief. 
some of the most pressing spiritual needs and, and requests in my life and in my wife's life border on this, no doubt. Lord, I believe you can do anything, but help my unbelief. God, do it for your honor, for your glory. In Matthew 13, the Bible says, a prophet's not without honor, save in his own country, in his own house. And he did not many mighty works there because of what? Because of their unbelief. But it's obvious in this story, in this narrative, that the young man, since he was dead, had no ability to exercise any faith. But Jesus raised him from the dead. Last point, Jesus and the crowd, verse 16. Oddly enough, oddly enough, Luke doesn't tell us what the widow lady had to say about that. But I can imagine she was jumping up and down, doing cartwheels, screaming and praising God from the rooftop. I can only imagine her great joy and relief. Her son, who was dead, is alive again. What we are told is that this crowd of people who were following Jesus feared him in the sense of reverentially trusting him. They were in awe of him, and they praised God. They knew that they had witnessed something that came from the Father through the Son of God. They knew Jesus now was a prophet from God, and they saw God coming to visit them and to care for them through the agency of Jesus of Nazareth. The people had suffered for 400 years while God remained silent. There had been no prophetic word. You realize that for 400 years... The, the Old Testament was closed, was sealed, was stopped. For 400 years, there was no new revelation until Jesus came upon the scene. So what does that tell us? You praying for somebody? I hope you're praying for someone. You're, you're one more. I hope you will. I hope God will lay someone on your heart, and you'll begin praying for And so what's my, what are my words of encouragement to you? Be patient. If you pray a day or two and nothing happens, don't stop. If you pray a week or two and nothing happens, don't stop. If you pray a year or two and something happens, don't stop. Nothing happens, rather, don't stop. Something happens, nothing. If you pray for 10 years and nothing happens, don't stop. Be patient. Continue to trust God. Never give up believing because with him, nothing is impossible. One result of this resurrection is that people spread the good news in the entire area. It spread like wildfire. Can you imagine people's reactions? Hey, you know that widow lady over in Nain? You know her son that died a couple of days ago? Just, well, they, they buried pretty quick. So yesterday, and they had a funeral today. Someone named Jesus of Nazareth stopped the funeral procession and spoke to the young man, and he came back to life. No. You're kidding me. No, I'm not kidding you. You're lying. No, I'm not lying. Really? Really. Some believed. Some didn't. One result of the resurrection is that they spread the gospel to the Judea and to the south and it became well known that a God-sized miracle had taken place. So you know what? Look, let me, let me close with this. God, God is not put off by your having God-sized miracle notions and ideas. There's nothing too big that would make God say, are you kidding me? You want me to do that? God can do whatever he wills to do. 
And God has given us the privilege of prayer. God knows our despair. God knows our situations. God knows our trauma. God knows uh, that we need him. We can trust him in all things. So I ask you, what God-sized miracle do you need in your life today? And, And then one more, one more thing. One of these days, the Lord's coming back. And my mom and dad's body over in Glen Abbey in the mausoleum are going to be transformed, be put, all those molecules, the dust, the dust, ashes, ashes, going to be all put back together, and my mom and dad will be perfect, and we will be caught up together. If I'm alive when it happens, we'll be caught up together with them in the clouds. So shall we ever be with the Lord. My question to you, are you ready? If the trumpet sounds today, are you ready to go? You say, preacher, how can I be, how do I know? Because you can either put your faith in Christ or you can say, no, I'm not ready. And to be not ready is to be in a dangerous position. Trust him now. Would you bow your heads, please? Father in heaven, thank you for this miracle. I thank you for the power that is invested in your son. I thank you that he is Jesus, the son of God and God, the son. Lord, I thank you, you triune God. I thank you, Father. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for being active in our salvation and giving us faith and helping us to act upon that faith. And Lord, I pray for someone who might be here this morning, perhaps a visitor, perhaps someone who's been a member for many years, perhaps someone who's been a professing Christian for most of their life, that you would show us, Lord, that just uh, professing salvation is not enough. We've got to possess it. And the way we possess it, possess it is by putting our faith and confidence completely in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. The fact that he was crucified and buried and rose again and is coming back, that is our hope. That is our gospel. That is our salvation. With every head bowed, if you'd like to trust Christ as your personal Savior, pray to him right now. Say something like this, dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I've fallen so far short of what you want me to be and to do and I'm sorry and I'm ashamed I believe that Jesus is your only begotten son pray to God say I believe that he died that he was buried that he rose again and this morning this Sunday morning in this place First Baptist Church I put my faith in Jesus Christ I trust him not my own works not my baptism not my church membership not my giving of money not my being a good person I trust Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. Right now, I put my faith in him. With every head bowed, if you just prayed that prayer, you just said the words in your heart, in your your mind, would you slip your hand up and hold it up real high? Hold it up real high. God bless you and you and you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Are there others besides these? Others besides these? These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, everlasting life and that you may believe in the name of the Son of God. Father, thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for what you're doing for us. God, help us to be faithful to you and obedient to you in all things. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? Our invitation, if you need to come and kneel and pray at this altar, this, these steps will serve as an altar. Come and kneel and pray. If you want my wife to pray with you, ladies, she will. If you want me to pray with you guys, I will. If you want Ryan to pray with you guys, Tap him on his shoulder. He'd be glad to do so. Any of the other men and ladies that are here, 
They'll be glad to pray with you. If you want to receive Christ as your personal Savior, let us know. If you want to join the church, let us know. If you want to be baptized, we can take care of that. We'll set up a time and a date. So as we sing, would you come right now and do what God would have you to do? Come on. Have you decided that? Today could be your day of salvation. No turning back. Just for you. Come on now. This verse is for you. plow and keep going forward. Keep going forward. Don't look back. Keep looking forward. The world behind you, the cross before you. Father, dismiss us now with thy love. Lord, thank you for each person here. Thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would help us to discern what is truth and what is not. God, help us to live for you, we pray. Forgive us of our sins and bless us this day. Thank you for church in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you for being in God's house today.